0: First Peter, beginning at verse 1 through verse 12. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace be in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. May God bless to us this morning the reading, hearing, and understanding of his holy word. So first off, I want you to kind of put yourself in the picture of these people who the Apostle Peter was writing to. And just kind of for that context, going into the first couple of verses, I'm just going to hone in on a couple of the words where it talks about to the elect exiles. So and I might take those in, in a little bit reverse order, but first that idea of being an exile. Most of us probably... Have lived in the same place for a long time. And we're comfortable in many of our surroundings. We have our homes, we have uh, our state, uh, and we, we have our country that we're very familiar with. Picture yourself as an exile, someone who is displaced. Now, I'm not trying to get in anything political here or anything, but we all know down at our southern border, there's a lot of migrants coming into the U.S. These are people who have been displaced from their normal home, trying to come and find a home somewhere. These are people who have no economic status. These are people who have no political status. These are people who, in our many to us, have no social status. They are isolated, really, from any community. We had a person in our congregation in Springs reformed a month ago. A young young gal who went to uh, Europe for um, a month to do short term missions, and who was she working with? She was working with Ukrainian exiles. And it's a whole different type of thing that I'm not sure I can even really understand and relate to. I've always had my home. Even though I've traveled about, I've always had a passport and known what to call home. But this language to the exiles who were being dispersed, it's physical but it also relates to every one of us. Because Paul tells us to think consciously that our citizenship is in heaven. And that we are sojourners on this earth. We are not to build, now, I own a home, I enjoy it, but that is not to be where I place my hope and trust. I am to look forward to heaven. So we are all to kind of see ourselves in this same sort of category as an exile, we're out of place on this earth. It is not our home. Yet at the same time, we're told that we're chosen by God. Now, to, to help us kind of get a, 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 a sense of this as well, Think of the Ukrainian in, in, in current modern day time right now, the people at the border, the, the Ukrainians, and, and throughout history, there's never been a time which there weren't migrations of people, people, Abraham was told to leave his country, all right? How many times were, were the Jews in the Old Testament exiles in a foreign land? And so this concept was should not be new to us as believers. So so stop and think about the people at at these borders, these people who are being migrated, these people who are exiles in a land not their own. You think they feel chosen? Isn't that kind of ironic? Chosen for what? Chosen to be displaced? Chosen to be uh, to receive hardships? Chosen to be alienated? Chosen uh, to be an outcast to society? Thanks a lot. But it's just a reminder to us: election is not something that should puff us up in any prideful way, but should humble us. Because we were not chosen because we were US citizens. We were not chosen because of the color of our skin. We were not chosen because of the intellect of our brains, the wealth of our bank account, or anything else. We were chosen Because God says, that's sufficient. So the idea should humble us because it's not from anything within us that provides us any sort of, I mean, think of the exiles. Should they go to the border and say, don't you know who I am? You need to come offer me. Uh, a good place to live and a good job and everything because, no, that's that's not how it works. They are really at the mercy of others. And that's exactly where we are, at the mercy of God. So I'd kind of like to ha- ask you just to kind of have yourself in that mental image as an elect exile and what that would actually mean for you. Understanding this is not your home. You are an exile on earth. Our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is the Lord Jesus Christ who told us, Do not lay up treasures for yourself on earth where moth and rust destroy or where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So I'm going to break... This morning's message into three broad categories, you might say, because he's told in First Peter, he set this up, he's writing to the elect exiles, those who are being dispersed and really facing uncertainty in their life maybe not even knowing where their next meal is going to come from or where they're going to lay their heads that night. And then he comes in, starting in verse 3, and he's going to talk about what they do have. And that is salvation. And I want us to just look this morning at the wonder of salvation. Now it was a little bit intimidating. Nothing here planned or anything, but I come in for the the Sa- Sunday school hour and what's it going to be on meditation. And I was going to ask you, this was not choreographed or any or planned or anything, but I want you to to think as we go through these these things and to meditate on one of these points of what it means for you to have salvation. I'm hoping one of these particularly will resonate with you. And that by thinking on these thoughts, it would help us in our daily walk with our Savior. The first thing I want you to marvel at and wonder at is the mercy of God. In verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, In the last time, we've already talked about the status of an exile. According to his great mercy, he reached down and touched us and the gospel message was heard and received. It was nothing to do with ourselves. Again, not our intellect, not our talent, not our wealth, not our uh, whatever charisma or not our positions or our status. Nothing but his great mercy. He caused us to be born again. To have a new life. And those are the, there's three things I want you to see that this passage tells us that we have because of his great mercy. The first one is that right there, born again, new life, uh, which clearly clearly takes us back to John 3 and Nicodemus, where here we have a scholar, a teacher of Israel, and and Jesus tells him, you must be born again, and and Nicodemus is like, well, you know, I just don't comprehend this. And, And Jesus is like, what, you're a teacher of Israel, and you don't understand about spiritual life, about being born again, and and, and and of it giving a completely new perspective, and as the apostle Paul would also come along and tell us in, in 2 Corinthians five seventeen, we become a new creation. I was having a discussion with a, a young man a few months ago, and he was having struggle with this idea, and it's 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 a one to struggle with, this idea of a new creation. The problem was he, was he was talking about, yeah, I need to go back to church and everything because I need to kind of clean up my life. Like, like going to church in Christianity is some sort of 12-step program. And I was like, you know, and I won't use his name, you know, God doesn't come to us to make us a better us. He's not here to make Kelly a better Kelly. He's here to make me a new creation in him. He's here to change my life. The way I see, the way I look, God's not here for me to be a better me. He calls us by his great mercy to be born again, to have new life, For that which is born of the flesh is of the flesh and will perish. But that that is born of the spirit will live. Not only by his great mercy are we born again, but it says we have a living hope. Makes sense that if we get new life, we have a living hope. We live in a society that is, the percentages are, are going up exponentially. Suicide has always been a tragedy in every society. And because of some of the work I've done in the past, I could probably give you the, the percentages that it exists in pretty much every society. And they remain about, they, they, they often remain static but they're going up and I've seen them trickling up why the number one indicator I'm not going to blanket stereotype all of them but one of the number one indicators of someone at risk of suicide is hopelessness just just is Hopelessness, helplessness, worthlessness. Those are the three things that uh, we were trained to look at in an individual if we were talking to them, if I was doing a risk assessment of of where they were as far as their risk of harming themselves. Hopelessness, helplessness, worthlessness. The biggest one was hopelessness. Why should I go on? Why should I continue to exist? Jesus by giving new life answers that question. The Sunday school class was talking about all forms of meditation that really have tried to just hijack the whole concept of it. and all of these things are trying to find hope and purpose in things that are meaningless and useful are useless. Jesus Christ, through his death on the cross and through his resurrection, the power of his resurrection, gives purpose and meaning. We are not just hamsters in a cage running around, we are not just mice being taught to work through a maze hitting dead ends. We are made in the image of God and when God quickens our hearts, brings new life, it makes sense. We find hope to continue, to go on, to not just continue and to go on, but to actually accomplish not what we want, but because our new life and our new creation, we want to accomplish what. He is creating and doing within us. Rather than despair, hope gives a sense of the future. So, by his great mercy, we are born again to a living hope. And given the third part that I want you to see here. Given to us in salvation by His great mercy is an inheritance stored up in heaven. Most of us naturally have this concept of inheritance. Oh, it's what I personally maybe have accumulated over the course of my life, and uh, I know that, you know, someday I'm going to die, and so I get a will or something and set it up of how all of my possessions and things are going to be distributed to my kids or family. And it's, it's very often that way. And so we look at very commonly to a human inheritance. We even look at uh, stories like the prodigal son who went to his father and said, you know that inheritance that uh, you've been saving up? I'd like to have some of it now. And, and so, but, but God gives us this an inheritance stored up for us in heaven. And it gives us three things about this inheritance, not only in eternal life. I mean, the, the, the whole idea of what we're going to inherit is kind of beyond our comprehension because it's stored up in heaven. I can have a comprehension of maybe a, an inheritance here on earth, all right? I have a concept of material goods. I have a concept of, of uh, financial things or anything. Heaven? But there's an inheritance stored up for us by his great mercy in heaven, which is going to be far beyond anything that we can imagine here on this earth as far as value. And here is the other great contrast that the apostle draws for for us from this inheritance. It's imperishable. Everything we have on this earth is perishable. What God has for you is imperishable. Undefiled. Everything on this earth is defiled. Sorry in heaven it's undefiled, unfading when I was reading that and thinking about the unfading part. hey, okay, I live in Colorado, and there' a time I've driven i70 more times than um, many people ever want to. I'm one of these who actually enjoys driving through Kansas. Uh, I I like being able to see the scenery and and and, and I was I was actually leaving western Kansas, getting into eastern Colorado, and it was um that time of day where the, the sun was setting. And I'm telling you, it was an incredible sunset. I mean, it was one of those that just Takes your breath away, all right? It was such an amazing uh, sunset, I had to pull my car over. And I just got out and I just sat there and was watching it. For about, oh, 10, 15 minutes, and then guess what happened to it? It faded. I don't care what glory you find on this earth, What Christ has for us as an inheritance in heaven is far surpassing and will never fade. Can you imagine being so overwhelmed that you want to get out your car and just stare at something and you can just stay there as long as you want because it's not going away. So by his great mercy, he has given us a salvation in which we have new life, a living hope, and an inheritance that will never fade. My point is that you've been given a salvation that changes everything. The second thing I want you to wonder about in your salvation goes on in verses six through nine. Because he talks about, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So he's setting up, this is what you've received in salvation But now look what it also does to you. You're going through difficult times, and if you haven't lived long enough, you will. If you haven't experienced crushing pain, heartache, live a little longer, young people, I'm sorry, it's coming. There are trials. There are challenges. There are times you're just going to shake your head and say, I don't know what's going on or why. But look at the response of the person that's been born again. Remember, we've been born and given a living hope. And I love it through here, though. It says, though you've not seen him, this is verse eight. You love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Now, I don't know about you, but it's sometimes my nature to throw a little pity party for myself. That may surprise some of you, I know. but it it happens. And I can start feeling a little down. And, And I can start to not expressing myself, to wanting to be more critical. But we have to rely on the Spirit and not look at necessarily the things right in front of us but what God is working and accomplishing through these things. Life of an exile can be hard. My son, some of you may have met him. My son, Derek, is co-pastor at Shawnee. And he did a a study on the book, and he he preached a series of sermons through the book of, of Ecclesiastes. And his theme for Ecclesiastes was life under the curse. And everything you went through with Ecclesiastes was, was kind of hitting into that theme, life under the curse. And guess what? Life under the curse sometimes is not very pleasant. But look what happens with the people of God when trials of many kinds come their way. Instead of complaints, there's praise. Instead of bitterness, there's love. And instead of despair, there's joy. Where does this come from? This is God at work in the lives of his people. So not only do we marvel and wonder at his great mercy, we marvel and wonder at what he's doing by his spirit inside of us this causing us to have a different attitude a different perspective and a different response how is it that our brothers and sisters in places where the church and for naming the name of Christ they're being persecuted They're being thrown in jail. They're being tortured. Why don't they recant? Why instead, when they are beaten, do they say, thank you, Lord, that I'm able to suffer on your behalf? What creates that sort of a change of heart and mind? That's something for us to wonder And marvel at because it is only by salvation. Job, in the midst of his despair, in the midst of suffering, what does he say to those who really have come to torment him? I know that my Redeemer lives. Life's experiences don't make us bitter towards God, but thankful and grateful to give praise. The third thing I'd like you to consider this morning concerning salvation is the wonder of the scope of it. And these are in these last few verses, starting at verse 10. Concerning this salvation, prophets prophesied, inquiring, inquiring, And and particularly, though, it, it goes to verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which the angels long to look. This thing, this salvation that Christ has accomplished? It's cosmic. It's so far greater than we can even comprehend. Think of the first time you saw something under a microscope and you saw all sorts of things that you never even knew existed. This last last fall, I'm wanting to get back into fly fishing. And so I'm... Something my wife and I do. So, so I actually went to an angler's shop and uh, hired a guide to take us up on the Arkansas River to give us some fly fishing uh, classes. And so we were out there fishing and getting to chat with our 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 uh, uh, guide there a little while. And so he, by, by his day job, was he was a high school biology teacher. And so mainly he did his, his guide work on weekends and, and, and summers. And so we were talking to him and about different aspects of... And, and he was at one point, you know, talking to me about how, you know, the real fly fisherman... You have to understand, I'm a person who says they call it fishing for a reason, not catching. Because I just, I just like fishing. I don't care if I catch. If, something, if, if some dumb fish happens to get on the other side of my hook... Okay, good for him. So, so, but the real fly fishermen, you know, they'll want to go and they'll look under rocks and they'll want to see what bugs are out there and they're going to want to see all of these things and uh, uh, name them. And he's like, yeah, it was really funny, though, because he says a lot of my high school students, I ask him what they're going to do in the summer and they're talking about going, wanting to go splash around in the Arkansas River. And he said he just chuckles because then he knows coming up in their class he has samples of the Arkansas River and they're going to look, under, uh, look at what's in that water under a, a microscope. And he says many times, not the stereotype, but he says many times when the girls see what's in that river, they never want to touch that water again. There's a lot more that we don't know, than what we do know. And whether it's looking under the microscope or gazing up into some beautiful starlit night, it's the same sort of thing, only in an opposite direction. If you, if you get it out a telescope and you're like, whoa, there's a lot more stars than I ever realized. And that's kind of what the apostle is kind of sharing with us here. The prophets and all, they were doing their best to search, and some, especially Isaiah and all, inspired to give us glimpses of trying to guess when the Messiah would come. But then he kind of goes to that, but, but these are things angels long to look into. And you know, it's always been the Apostle Paul, uh, I'd love to sometimes hear him, just kind of the, the way things would probably roll off his tongue. But in Ephesians 6, he says, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers Against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And he's not telling us that to scare us, he's telling us that to be aware. Because This is far bigger than any of us, even collectively. We are simply one elect exile who's been called to serve the high king, who by his great mercy has given us new life, who has given us a living hope, who has secured for us an inheritance in heaven. You should just marvel and wonder at that. Who has come into your life and changed everything. The way you see your future, the way you see your job, the way you see your family, the way you read the news, um, the, the, everything that you say, do, or think. Because it's no longer for you, it's for him. You should marvel at what God, through Jesus Christ, and the power of his spirit is doing in your life. Because it's sure not on you, It's not, oh, I think I can, I think I can. I'm just going to be a better person. And you should marvel that in the vastness of this universe, from the tiniest microcosm to the furthest galaxy, you, have been chosen to be his child. Salvation is something to marvel and wonder at repeatedly. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. It's a simple word that we say, salvation but yet, oh, how magnificent and how glorious. Lord, forgive us when we do not appreciate all that you have accomplished for us in the Lord Jesus Christ and for what you have stored up for us in heaven. Lord, may we contemplate on these things and may it draw us nearer to you. May it hasten that conversion in our hearts and in our minds to rejoice at being servants of the Most High God. That in the difficulties of time, as well as the goodness of times, our understanding and perspective is the same and our joy and our praise come from the same place. Lord, we thank you that you have given us life in Jesus. And it's in his precious name I pray. Amen. Let's turn now, please, in your Psalters to Psalm 98b. Sorry. Ninety eight B. I almost said ninety-eight bravo because I was in the army a while. To the Lord O oh, sing a new song for the wonders he has done. Let's stand as we sing. Psalm ninety eight A or B. benediction. Now may the love of God, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be yours now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Psalm 72f.